Welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. What follows is the service from June 20th, 2021. Thank you and God bless. seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. With the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send, and whom will go for us? And, and I said, Here I am, send me. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful that we are able to come together and worship you. We know that we are unclean and unworthy of the love that you have given us and the love that you direct us to. Um, and yet when we come here, we know that we come so that you can send us out uh, to show the same love for this world. And we are grateful for that. Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name. For you never fail to help and lead those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, 
and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe that your faithfulness does continue through the generations. Uh, from the time uh, of David uh, through today, Lord, that, that you are faithful, that, that we are yours, that we are your people, Lord. I pray that as we come into your presence this morning, that we do so with gladness and with songs of praise, with joyful songs. Lord, be in our presence this morning as church. It's through your son's name we pray. Stages. 
This morning we're going to be in three weeks talking about worship. Over the past couple of years, we did a lot of discernment on who speaks in worship, right? And all of that implies that worship is really important. Because if worship wasn't important, we wouldn't have spent two years discussing who speaks in worship, right? And how people should speak in worship. Also, coming back from the pandemic, I think this is a question a lot of us have had. Like, how important is it that we come together face-to-face and worship? Because certainly, you can pray at home alone. You can read your Bible at home alone. You can help the poor and seek justice without ever coming here. And you can worship God alone. So why do we come here in one place and we worship God together? Why gather with a church? It's a question many of us have asked and have thought about in deeper ways because of our experience with the pandemics. And while I don't want to foster legalistic requirements of church attendance, I do want to talk about how essential worship is. And I mean that. Kids, you probably don't have some of these thoughts, but when I was growing up, sometimes I felt pressure that I had to be at worship every single time. And if I missed a Sunday or missed a Wednesday night, then I wasn't as good a Christian or something like that. And you probably don't have some of that baggage. Probably some of the adults do. And we don't want to put that baggage on anyone. But at the same time, we want to say, what we do here when we're together is important, it's vital, it's essential. And when we miss it, we're missing something that that truly does matter because it's a big deal. Let's define what it means to worship. So to worship is to say, this thing, this idea, this person is great. It's greater than me. It's greater than myself. It's of ultimate type of importance. It's to honor something, to praise, to give reverence. In the New Testament, the Greek word for worship literally meant to get down on your knees. Because in that culture, when they would worship, whether it was uh, Jews or, or pagans worshiping many gods, they would get down on their knees and they, they would bow down. They would also do that to the kings and queens of their day because it was an act of showing I lower myself as a tangible sign that I'm lower than the being that I'm in front of. This person, this thing, this idea is greater than me. So to worship is to be fundamentally devoted to someone or something This is what worship is. And we are worshiping beings. And this morning I'd like to reframe our question a little bit. Because the question I get asked a lot is, do I have to worship? And I think a better question is, who am I worshiping? Because as created humans, we are fundamentally worshiping beings. We are creatures that naturally worship. So the question becomes not, do I have to worship? The question is, what am I worshiping? So let me take you through a couple of examples. And I'm not saying these are acts of idolatry. 
but they speak to the fact that we are people that naturally worship. And I'm gonna use the examples of a sporting event, a concert, and a political rally. And it's baseball season, so I'll use the example of baseball. When I go to a baseball game, I prepare what I'm going to wear just as my grandfather prepared his suit for Sunday morning. Because I put a lot of thought into what I wear and I wear multiple things that demonstrate my allegiance. I plan the route I'm gonna drive because I want to be there on time. I even like to watch them warm up and it's important. There are certain types of foods I eat to get into the mood of what's going on. Hot dogs, soda, peanuts, right? All those different things. And there's a liturgy to the baseball game and there are acts of devotion that take place. And if you do not participate in the acts of devotion, you're not seen as a true supporter of what's going on. Whether it's the national anthem that it begins with or the seventh inning, the singing of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, and since 9-11, the addition of God Bless America. There's a lot of identification that goes on in a baseball game. There's very much a, that is them, and this is us. Because our team should never be called out. The other team, they're out every time, type of thing, right? It's a matter of allegiance. And when your team is doing well, you high-five strangers, and you experience a type of commonality with people that you don't know. There are advertisements throughout the game telling you to come again. Show your devotion by buying clothing of the sports team on your way out and coming again to another game because this is what it means to truly be a follower. This is what it means to truly be a disciple of your team. Consider the concert. I can't remember who I was talking to. It was one of you recently. Those of us that are a little older were talking about Starwood Amphitheater and Antioch. Some of you remember that. And we were listing all the concerts we had gone to at Starwood. Okay, that, that would be a fun Ackland trivia contest one day. But a concert is very much that, depending on the concert, people dress appropriately for the event. I saw a billboard the other day. Apparently, Jimmy Buffett is still alive, which I was not aware of, and is still doing shows. And people will dress a certain way for a Jimmy Buffett concert. And it will probably be a certain demographic that goes to a Jimmy Buffett concert. And occasionally, I would imagine, Jimmy Buffett will say things from the stage that demonstrate his values, and people will cheer in agreement with those set values. And at key moments and key songs, which I know several, but I'm not gonna sing them for you now, um, people will join in singing, right, as an act of devotion, and will buy t-shirts and merchandise as a way to go out and continue to be a follower. A political rally is the same way. There's music, there's ideas, there's symbols, and it's all about let's go out from here. We are all saying in agreement, this is what's important. And then we're going out to live like that which we have just said is important. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things are idols, although they can be. And some of them have been idols at various points in my life, and I had to do some discernment. But they all speak to the fact that the question is not, do we have to worship? The question is, what are we worshiping? Because we are all fundamentally beings that worship. And worship is a matter of identity formation. We become like that which we worship you will slowly 
over the years, become like the Jesus you worship. When you see Christians doing very odd things over the last 10 years, and this has happened throughout history, right? But Christians sometimes do very odd things. The question you should ask is always this. What type of Jesus are they worshiping that has led them to act like this? What type of Jesus are they worshiping that has led them to act like this? And sometimes what we do is we create a certain version of Jesus that's kind of like the Jesus we like, and then we worship that Jesus, and then we go out and live like that Jesus. But when we come together in Christian worship, the God of all creation says, this is who I am. You don't get to define me. I get to define you. And this is how you, this is how you go out and live in the words of the scripture, in spirit and in truth. So briefly this morning, I want to share three things about Christian worship and then show how it plays out in our liturgy and our, the drama of our worship every Sunday morning. First, worship invites us into the way life should be. Worship invites us into the way life should be. I was reading a book recently. It's an older book. It's called Peculiar People by Rodney Clapp. And in the book, he pointed out something I found really interesting. That the words culture and cultus have the same root from a linguistic perspective. Cultus is the word for worship. Culture is the word for lifestyle. We even see that in the framing of the word that cultus worship frames culture or lifestyle. So what we're doing when we come together on Sunday, we're not saying, oh, this world's a crazy place. Let's escape to this sacred hour. And this sacred hour is completely different from any other part of life. And it's just kind of weird. And there are things about this hour that don't apply to anything else going on. And then we go back into the real world, and this is kind of a Christian bubble. No, we're saying the complete opposite. We're saying, when we come here, this is not escaping to something that's not real. What we're saying is, this is actually what's real. So what's going on here, this is real. What's going on out there is a mixed bag of good and bad, often fallenness. And what happens out there, that's not always true reality. But what happens here? Like, this is real. And if we can be real for one hour, maybe we can be real for all of life. So what does that, what does that look like then in, in this scripture? Jesus is modeling a worship that's in spirit and truth. Okay, he's violating the social norms of the day because he's a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. But by doing that, cultus has affected his culture. And he's saying, I will not participate in this long-standing racism that goes back a thousand years between Jews and Samaritans. It had gone back to the divided kingdom. It had been going on for a thousand years. I will not participate in this racism because I worship in spirit and truth. When he has the interaction with the woman about the husbands, kids, you might hear that. And I remember I heard it this way when I was your age and says, 
what is wrong with this woman that she can't stay married? She's married to all these different guys or something like that. That's not what's going on. What's going on is it was a culture where men could divorce their wife for any reason. Women were not allowed to divorce. And sometimes a woman would come home and the husband would just say, I'm tired of you. And he would just cast her out. So this woman, five different men had quit on her, cast her out. Which was not just, it didn't just make her sad relationally, but it, it often made her poor. Because to be a single woman in that culture, you're often poor. The sixth man will not even give her the dignity of marriage. So this is an example of the vast sexism of the time. But Jesus, by talking to her, and in the passage before, he's like, can you get me something to drink? They would often bring like a ladle or something. Um, he's basically saying, let's drink from the same ladle. Let's share, let's share germs, right? I mean, how many of you would want to share this cup with me, right? I mean, we don't always want to share each other's germs. But Jesus is saying, let's drink together. Let's drink from the same well. Let's drink from the same cup. Because I worship in spirit and truth, I don't participate in the racism and sexism of, of the day. That's what Jesus was saying in that context. Because his cultist had affected his culture. Second, worship connects us to God and each other. Notice the Isaiah passage that we read as we began the service and we sang holy, holy, holy when we were out on the lawn. When we come together, we are aware of God's presence in a deep way. And, and certainly, every baptized believer has the Holy Spirit. And so you don't have to come here to find God. Like as a baptized believer, God is with you everywhere you go. Okay, so It's not like God lives here, but he doesn't live at your house. But when we all come in here with the Holy Spirit, there's a growing intensity to the presence of God. So it, it's more palpable. You can sense it because there are times, you probably have the same experience. When I'm going through a hard time and I'm by myself, I struggle to feel the presence of God. But when I come together with other Christians, it's a palpable sign that God is real because multiple people whom the Holy Spirit indwells are coming together and the presence of God is intensified. Now, what the intense presence of God will do is this. It will expose us. So while there's always a tendency to run from the presence of God, we see this throughout the Bible, from Adam and Eve all the way to the very end, the presence of God often when it makes us run. It's a fight-flight response, right? But what we see is Isaiah is aware of his sin in the passage, but if you stay around long enough for the confession, you will receive the forgiveness. If you stay around long enough to say, I'm unclean, you get the opportunity to be cleaned and to be reconciled to God. That is the rhythm of confession, repentance, and forgiveness that we experience. It all starts, though, with this reverence that Isaiah had, reverence and worship. And it's essential for us to have a sense of respect for God in our worship. So, my grandparents, they loved to talk to me about reverence and worship. And uh, there's a long story I'll tell another day about doing something that was very rebellious for my social location in the 90s. But I went to a Promise Keepers rally. This is a long story for another day. 
But my grandmother read about this in the newspaper. She was very disappointed in me because it wasn't reverent worship. I'll tell you that story another time. But Granny wanted to talk to me about reverence. Now, she mainly expressed her reverence, reverence, the word respect, okay, for worship. She mainly expressed that through, she dressed up for worship. She did not eat or drink in, in worship. Like she wouldn't have brought a snack or something to drink in here. And she would have been very uneasy about kids playing in this space because this was a reverent space. She would want the kids to go elsewhere to play. And um, I don't know that I share her desire for reverence. I don't know that I express it the same way. Kids, I don't love it when you stand on the pews, but that's probably other reasons other than reverence. But, um, <laughs> but I probably express my reverence in different ways. Well, let me just say it this. I've had people tell me, both visitors and members of this church, that sometimes Ackland is a bit too casual about worship. We're a bit too relaxed, and sometimes we're not reverent. It doesn't come across that we're showing reverence. I do think reverence is hard to prove. <laughs> um, but I don't think we should be, I don't think we should be flippant about that critique. I think we should, um, should think about it. It may look different for different people. But I do think we need to say when we come together, are we being reverent and respectful about what's going on? Because it will shape what happens here. So I think we should be reverent. In doing so, we connect to God. We also connect to each other. Um, you all are created in the image of God. Therefore, when I see you, it's as if I'm seeing God. One of the reasons the pandemic was challenging, and one of the reasons it was tempting for some of us to ask deep questions about the existence of God, the love of God, the reality of God, is that we just weren't seeing each other as much. And when you don't see other image bearers, you're not seeing you're not seeing the image of God. So there's there's a loss sometimes of God's of God's presence, and that's why. And I know it was overwhelming for some of you. I would like get over the top giddy excited when I saw you to the point where you were like, I need to prepare maybe to see JP because he may run up and violate the six foot rule. Um, but it was because. I was experiencing, and some of you were like me in this, I was experiencing an absence of God's presence, but when I saw you, I love you, but it was more excited that I was seeing a reminder about the reality of God when I saw you. And I confess that one of my favorite things of the past year was when we took communion. So we would, we would meet out in Don's yard, right? And uh, we'd, be, we'd be separated out there with masks, sweating in the summer sun. And I remember the first Sunday, you know, we had strip rules, spread out, don't come close, you know, wear masks the whole time. And then we got to communion, and I could tell what was going on. Everybody's like, caught between a rock and a hard place. Didn't think this one through. What's it going to be? The mask requirement? Or demonstrate my Church of Christ credentials and take communion every Sunday, right? You know what you were thinking. But what we did, and no one got COVID at a church event this year, but we were all spread out. But people would pull their mask down and take communion and then pull their mask back up. This is my favorite part of the week, the whole year. Because, um, I mean, how much, of, how much of human communication is nonverbal, right? 
Because you can tell me you're okay, but it's hard. Like, I can see your face, and I know you. Spencer can tell me he's okay, but I can look at his face and know him he's not. Justin can tell me he's okay, but I can look at his face and know him he's not. And you could look at mine, and some of you are like, he's preaching in a mask, and he's ask, acting all perky, but he took his mask off during communion, and I know JP is struggling. And maybe one week I was struggling and one week I wasn't. But there is an intensity, and I think this is literal, but I also think this is a metaphor for what happens when we come together. When we unmask, when we take our masks off and we are loved anyway, that is what it means to worship. When we take our masks off around each other and we are loved anyway. And it's a beautiful thing. And more than just seeing God in you, when we do that together, it's not just that we see God in each other. We're, we're given an opportunity to show the love of God to each other. So when you encounter something in church relationally that's challenging. Oh, I find this person at church to be difficult. Or I find this conversation at church to be difficult. It is not something to run from. It's an opportunity to show the love of God. This is a way that I can now show the love that I've experienced, and it, it makes us grow, and it makes us connect. So in the Jew-Samaritan story, John 4, for a thousand years, they've allowed their, their ethnic differences to be this huge barrier okay, that, that keeps them from being connected. And, and the Samaritan woman thought you should worship at Mount Gerizim, and this is where uh, Jeroboam had built an altar a thousand years before. Um, and the Jews thought you should worship in Jerusalem, the, Sol the temple that Solomon built. And Je Jesus' response is, <laughs> I mean, he just totally, they've been arguing about it for a thousand years. They're like, this is the most important thing in the world to talk about. He's like, instantly says, you spend all your time thinking about the wrong things. It's not about where you worship. It's about what type of God are you worshiping? And how are you treating each other? Third, very quickly, worship then sends us out to be changed people. So in the Isaiah reading, it's no accident that the, the reading ends with, Here I am, send me. Our closing reading will come from Romans, where Paul talks about how we, our lifestyle is a living sacrifice. Like how we live is a living sacrifice, and how we live is a living act of worship. Worship begets lifestyle, and therefore Lifestyle is a type of worship. And, and we give voice to this a lot. You often hear in our closing prayer, Lord, may, may we apply what we've learned here today to our, our week. Uh, Lord, be with us this week in our daily lives. Or as my grandfather would have prayed, guide, guard, and direct us. Right? But it was this idea that we didn't come here for a bunch of hocus pocus that has nothing to do with reality. We've come here to be changed by an almighty God and go out different. Because I know you people, and I hope you're different this week. I mean, it's that, it's that type of idea that all of us need to be different. And so this is how it plays out in the drama of our worship. When we begin worship, everyone is welcome. And we never know who's going to come in the doors. 
every week it's a surprise who comes in the doors sometimes we don't even know who comes in the doors but every single person is welcome that comes in the doors there's no prerequisites there's no questions asked and we begin our service often with an old testament reading and by doing that we're saying we're a part of something really old we're a part of some ancient wisdom this goes back a long time and we often pray a prayer that says Lord, we invite your presence to this meeting, and we pray that something happens that's, that's truly special when we come together. In normal life, we sing between all these movements of worship. And when you sing, it's a very powerful time. In, in two weeks, I'm going to do an entire sermon on singing, because communal singing was that which we lost the most. But communal singing is the only part of our worship where everybody gets to talk at the same time. Everybody gets to participate equally. I mean, Larry's in front of us, so it's not complete equality, I guess, but like everyone is giving voice simultaneously. And specifically in our tradition of four-part harmony, we are saying every voice is different. No two voices are the same. But when these voices come together, something beautiful happens because we're all singing the same words. We're all singing the same psalms. Our second reading is always from the psalms. In many ways, it's the heart of the Bible. It's the vulnerable part of the Bible. This is often when we pray for the sick, when we pray for the hurting, when we come together in deep honesty. And then we normally have a message, a sermon through a preacher. And in doing so, we assume that God is a talking God that wants to speak to us. And certainly, don't amen this, although you're tempted to. Certainly, this doesn't mean every single word from the preacher is from God. Yet, I'm going quickly to see one amen. We must practice the sermon. Still, God has a way of making sure we hear what we need to hear every Sunday when we open up the word. And then we come to the climax of our service we're about to do and we take communion. It's a memorial, it's a remembrance, and yet we believe God is showing up in a very powerful way, in a mysterious way, and is changing us. We have our closing reading. It's an act of sending. Help us to remember what we've learned here this week as we go out, and we normally read from the epistles, which are normally like a practical motivation as we go out. And then we close our worship, but, but then we have announcements, and I don't want to enter into the whether or not worship um, announcements are part of worship. But I do want to say this. Our announcements are an important part of who we are. In many ways, every week when, when Amy types out the bulletin, she's typing out a, a theological document. Because this bulletin is a response to our worship. In light of what we have just said, this bulletin represents who we seek to be. So we celebrate everybody's birthday. Why? Because every single person is an image bearer of God and every single person matters. And so we're going to give voice to every single birthday. And we're going to give voice to every single anniversary because we believe in the goodness of marriage. And then we're going to, we have activities and some of them are us hanging out and spending more time together. But also, it's a deliberate take on 
The activities we plan are a statement on the type of people we should be in our world. Serving the community, spreading the message of Jesus. And check us on that. And if our bulletin ever becomes something, you're like, I don't think this is a representation of who we're supposed to be. That's an important conversation. And we'll always pray for the sick and we we'll always pray for our missionaries. Because we're saying these are our values and this is who we believe God has called us to be in the world. So this is what it means to worship. And I'm sorry that was a little longer than normal. The question is not, do we have to worship? The question is, who are we worshiping? What type of God are we worshiping? May we worship God in spirit and truth. And may we worship God and serve him only. gotten your little cup of grape juice and wafer um, there in the back on the cabinet. Uh, you'll have a few minutes. Um, I want to read from Hebrews 5. Nope, sorry, Hebrews 4. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, this week, as you read in the bulletin uh, that JP just talked about, um, you'll notice that Mary and Susan's uncle Bill died. And he's been in our bulletin for the better part of 20 years. And they had called in hospice, so we all got to spend some extra time with him. Uh, and one of my favorite stories from the last two weeks was when his sister Elizabeth got to go visit with him. And he told her that not only was he ready, but he was excited. And he was really looking forward to being in the presence of God and spending time with people that had gone before him. And I was reminded of that this morning when JP was talking about the stuff that we do in here is real and the stuff out there is what's not real. And Bill believed that what we do in here is real and that's what gave him the confidence uh, that the writer of Hebrews talks about. He was confident that he was today before God's throne. And my prayer for us as we, as we take this meal together is that we remember we should have that confidence and that that is what is real. And when we leave here, we take that confidence and that reality out um, outside these walls with us. So let's pray together. God, we're so thankful for you and we're so thankful for the sacrifice of your son and that he raised from the dead, Father. God, we, we know and we believe that that is what is real. 
And I pray that we remember that as we leave here and go out into the unrealness of the rest of the world that tries to tell us that what we believe is, is crazy and not real. Pray that you will bless this body uh, as we take, take your son into us and this blood as we, as we drink his, his blood and his living water, Father. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Fourth reading, I have an announcement. Um, we do not have glazed donuts today. Um, they're all assorted because Dunkin' Donuts was out. Um, like JP said, life's a mixed bag. Or like I tell my kids, life's unfair. So maybe good news or bad news, but don't want else to tell you. <clears throat> Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by, doing, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We bow again. God in heaven, we thank you for this morning that we could come together and worship you. God, we ask that you bless all of the fathers today. We ask that you please be with everyone this afternoon as they celebrate their fathers. And God, we praise and thank you for the example that you've given us of what um, a good father is. We ask that you please be with us throughout the rest of this day and that you help us enjoy this wonderful summer and the beautiful weather outside and just the time that we get to spend together as a church family and with our dads and the rest of our family. We 
thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Before Paul does the majority of the announcements, I just wanted to share about missionally really quick. I feel like we're a tandem suddenly. Um, so this Saturday starts our mission week. And on Saturday, we're going to start with our bus trip to Birmingham to the Civil Rights Institute. At first, we said that trip was for just middle school and up, but it was kind of problematic for different people with childcare. So now we're saying any age can go. I mean, don't send us your five-year-old if you're not going. But um, any age can go. Um, and if there are times that the, the young ones are a little, it's a little too intense or it's just too much, then I'll probably take some of them. Cause I, we're taking our little ones. So that's gonna leave at seven. And if you're going, um, I'll send an email cause we need to figure out where we're parking versus where the bus is gonna be parking. But that'll be leave at seven uh, and hopefully be back around nine. <clears throat> Oh, and once again, I should have said this. Our mission week is what we do instead of VBS. There are some amazing VBSs around town. You should go. Um, but we're not, we can't compete with VBS on that level. So this is what we do. We just bring different ages together around the mission of God. So next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we are going to, um, Robbie Spivey is going to interview Lindsey Krinks about her book, that was released this year, Praying With Your Feet. And I'm gonna buy some copies to pass out to people. Uh, I know some of you already have a copy, and we're gonna do that interview inside uh, in the air conditioning. But then, right afterwards, at 6 p.m., um, the Friends Life treat truck is gonna come, and that'll be outside, so we'll all have a frozen treat together. There's been conversation around all those festivities maybe doing a little bit of maintenance on the food pantry because certain aspects of that need a little work. I've been talking to Clay, so stay tuned. We may do a little work on that to spruce it up a tad. Um, and then Monday night in our yard from 6.30 to 8.30, Ryan's sister Sam and her friend uh, Nako are coming up from Atlanta to talk about their ministry to the Japanese community. It's a really neat thing that they're doing to reach out to Japanese uh, Japanese folks that have come to Atlanta for work and normally just stay three or four years then go back to Japan. And they developed this really cool thing and we're gonna be doing some really fun activities for all ages, 6.30 to 8.30 on that Monday night. And then Tuesday night, Salome has opened up a new clinic in Antioch. You know, their main clinic has been for years right over here. They've opened up a new clinic in Antioch and Jennifer Sternberg is working there. And Salome is just one of the great things in the city of Nashville. It's a healthcare clinic to those that don't have insurance. They serve a lot of refugees and immigrants. Now, here's what's exciting. You'll like this, Paul. My friend Wes, that works at Salome, is like, did you know Angelo's is next door to the new clinic? And I thought, really, Angelo's is next door? Angelo's is my favorite pizza in Nashville. Uh, it's close with a few, but I, Angelo's is amazing. So we're going to order pizza from Angelo's and eat it together at Salome. Then also, there's a supply list in here to bring supplies. So don't come empty-handed. Come with some supplies. We'll eat pizza. You don't, I mean, you don't have to eat pizza, but it's really good. And then we'll get a tour of the clinic. And then on that Wednesday for that brown bag, Randy is gonna lead a reflection among those that went to Birmingham. So Mission Week's always really exciting. This is our ninth one. And very few people come to every single thing we do, but man, I hope you can come to some of it 
because I think it's going to be great. Okay, normal announcements. All right. Good morning, y'all. Good to see. It seems like every week there's a couple of new faces, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, but good to have everybody here this week. Uh, birthdays. Today is Prentice's birthday. Happy birthday, Prentice. Brandon Church has a birthday, what is two days from now? Tuesday. Happy birthday, Brandon. Bodie also on the 22nd. I know I saw Bodie. There he is. Ooh. Feeling it this morning? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then Mason Corley, big 11th birthday. Happy birthday, Mason. Uh, we, we mentioned it, Spencer mentioned it in the table talk. Uh, do extend our sympathy to Susan and Marianne of the loss of Uncle Bill. He fought long and hard, uh, but we are praying for y'all. Um, we want to have service tonight due to Father's Day, so take the night off, relax, maybe call your dad. I'm going to write that down for myself. Uh, JP mentioned the list. It's in the bulletin here for Siloam. A lot of things that they could use, so let's remember that for Wednesday night. And then camp is coming up. Uh, camp forms are in the back if you're going this year. I'm going to do my best to bring my notary stamp. So if you want to fill it out this morning, I've got it. I'll put that stamp on for you. And obviously on the back, we want to remember those who are sick. We want to remember our missionaries. Those lists are always there. So please be praying for them. Any other announcements we had this morning? Matt Bauer, this better not be about donuts again. Okay, pre-K class, Matt will need some help with that one. Anyone else? Coffee and a variety of donuts are downstairs. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.